what I've really seen is that actually this virus has really turned out to be the great disruptor. You know, it really forced us to think about in one day how we are running our lives in a relatively normal way. And within 24, 48 hours, the world had turned upside down. And we had to think about now how do we rapidly introduce technologies that we had been thinking about, but maybe not had fully formed or deployed. Welcome to Shaping the Future of Healthcare from Siemens Health and Years, the podcast where we talk with renowned experts from around the world about the impact they're making on the future of medical technology. Today, Managing Board Member Christoph Sindel interviews Howard B. Chrisman. He's president of the Northwestern Medical Group, senior vice president of Northwestern Memorial Healthcare, and professor of radiology, focusing on vascular and interventional radiology and surgery at Northwestern University Feinberg School of Medicine. They discuss the personal and professional challenges Dr. Grisman has faced during the COVID-19 pandemic and what it's been like in his Chicago hospital. Let's take a listen. Let me start off here with a question leading all these different functions. What is your biggest personal challenge in COVID-19 times? Thank you. First of all, I'm humbled and honored to be here. As you mentioned, we have a long and storied partnership that has really not only advanced, I think, healthcare here in the United States and, and hopefully for your enterprise also, but I think on a personal level, developed strong friendships throughout uh, your leadership team and with you personally. So greatly appreciative of the uh, opportunity to have the conversation this morning. You know, it's uh, interesting when you ask the question on sort of the personal experiences. These are obviously sort of interesting and unprecedented times. You know, as I think about my experiences through the lens of the physician group, it's really been extraordinary. You know, our faculty and staff have been challenged in numerous ways that the past uh, few months, physically, emotionally, professionally, intellectually, spiritually, and they've really shown tremendous courage, resolve in dealing with the crisis. And for me personally, I owe them a great heartfelt respect and deepest gratitude. It's really been amazing because we've all been confronted by a disease that has implications not only to our patients, to us as direct caregivers, And I think that really has been probably the most notable difference for me. You know, if you talk to our pulmonary critical care doctors, our hospice, emergency room, trauma, surgeons, infectious disease, they spent countless hours navigating the complexities of a disease that we haven't seen before. You know, really no one in our clinical team has ever faced anything like this. So for me, uh, very early in my training, the closest chapter in recent memory was probably the AIDS epidemic in the early 1980s. I mean, you know, medicine wards at that time were overflowing with young patients that were dying of various forms of opportunistic infections. Um, but this is different. You know, it's more readily contagious, perhaps less lethal, but infecting millions of people sort of nationally and internationally, obviously. And so for me, on a personal level, when you take this all together, what was really different was trying to manage the anxiety and certainty and fear that we all felt being in an environment where we had this highly contagious infection and what it meant now to balance that with your own personal life. So thematically, as I've had these conversations, what I find the most challenging for me has been to sort of work through the emotion, emotions of going into a work environment, dealing with this novel coronavirus, right? It's novel by definition, so it's new. And then unlike in any other time where I would sort of leave that at work, I now come home. And because of 
how we're now providing care both at home and at work, trying to find this new normal environment. And what does it mean for me to come home and change my scrubs in the garage, as an example, and then go shower and make sure I'm safe for the family, find the right balance to have a call like this, while at the same time navigate the complexities of having a family at home. We all have families that have been impacted by this. So I think it's been this sort of times of uncertainties that certainly early on were a little more difficult. I think I found a better steady state now, but it was that balance that was probably the most challenging aspect of this. For us, I think at Siemens Healthineers, it was pretty much ensuring the safety and the healthiness of our employees, supporting our customers. This was equally important and, of course, ensuring business continuity, which has been a challenge, actually, you know, keeping the supply chains up and so forth. For me personally, I would also say it is working from home. It's different working from home in terms of productivity, in terms of scheduling your meetings and so on. And then, as you said, right, managing our kids through a crisis where they have difficulties to understand why is it all like it is currently. Yeah? So that's a challenge. So I can really follow you. Yeah, Going a little bit closer to this COVID-19 situation in your hospital, yeah, I think Chicago and its surroundings are hit hard by the COVID-19 pandemic. How is the situation in your hospital? You know, we are currently uh, well positioned today to simultaneous sort of manage our COVID population as well as the return or reactivation of patients seeking care. You know, one of the phenomenons that we obviously experienced worldwide was the postponement of cases for people who had diseases that we needed to care for as we thought about how we would manage patients with this new type of disease. So back in March, when as a state, our governor issued uh, what we call a stay-at-home order, we really focused on the mounting numbers of uh, really sick patients from COVID-19. You know, at its peak for our primary academic hospital downtown, we had over 160 patients on our downtown campus. And to date, have treated over 5,000 patients. But I will give great credit to the leadership of our governor and our mayor. They've really done a tremendous job in thinking through here in the state of Illinois how to address this. The healthcare systems here, you know, we have a number of healthcare systems in the city of Chicago and Illinois have really responded and worked collaboratively. And as a result of that, our state in a much better shape than we were. In fact, the state and city have moved to what we call this phase three of reopening, where we're now able to see more patients and take care of them. So in our response group, what we originally did, so when this first came out, we actually grouped patients into three categories, emergent cases that we had to treat. Category B were sort of these urgent cases, cases that cancer cases, heart cases, advanced neurosurgical that were pretty urgent, but we had to sort of think through our PPE and our ventilators and make sure we hold all that in place. And then category C were cases that we might call collectively in quotations more elective. And as we've gotten sort of a better rhythm and control now of our COVID population, we've reactivated and reprioritized now these cases. And as an example, since May 11th, we've seen a 100% increase in our surgical volumes and probably a 60 to 70% increase in other procedural areas. Similarly, our ambulatory clinics are now busier, about 30% busier than we were just a few weeks ago. And the same thing on the diagnostic sides, you know, as we thought about in, you know, our world shared world of imaging, much of that activity really ramped down. And now we're probably 25 to 30% busier week over week and probably at about 80% of baseline for those sorts of activities. So in general today, because our state, I think, has done a really nice job in thinking through how to first control during the response phase, but now thoughtfully reactivate our state's in good shape. As you're well aware, because you've seen the national news, you know each state has sort of approached this differently. And so certain states are having a different pace and surge to this, but at least in Illinois and Chicago, I think right now, as of today, I'm comfortable in where we're at. 
a similar situation in Germany, by the way, we have also within Germany different states and they have also different rules, which is okay in my point of view, because it depends also on the intensity of the outbreak. And so it uh, deserves uh, kind of local rules and uh, requirements. And then what is very much to our heart is supporting our customers. 13,000 people we have in North America working for our customers, 53,000 globally at Siemens Helsinius. And goal number one is really support the customers, you know, in difficult times with all the products and services they really need to fight this pandemic. We do a lot on the innovations and production side, in particular in Princeton, as you know, where we develop AI prototypes now to help in imaging and CT and conventional X-ray images for accelerated diagnosis and differential diagnosis. So all these things we do in the USA currently to help the customers. And then we have also a crisis process in our company where we also laid out clear plans to repopulate now the offices. For the moment, you know, I think it's also fair to say there is no fits-all solution. The comeback of all our employees out from home office depends also on the regions. So we have really to consider our global presence. And here in Germany, for example, we currently say, you know, we get 20% of the people back into the offices to ensure really enough distance, working distance. So it's a plan which has some regional flavors here in order to fulfill the different requirements. Yeah. Howard, what struck me much when I uh, did some research and what you have presented recently also in YouTube, you reported on a 63-year-old nurse in your hospital who was at risk to be infected herself. I mean, clearly uh, part of the risk group, as we know, but refused to leave the COVID-19 ward as she wanted to support younger nurses. Can you tell us a little bit about her and the spirit in your hospital? Because this is really amazing. Do you know more? That's been a uh, very well-received story that I presented in another forum. What I would say before I get to the story is it's one of so many. I'm sure similar to you, the stories uh, tell it all, you know, of the individuals that have gone so far above and beyond during this time period. I mean, really, for me personally, unprecedented in watching how our employees, our caregivers, those that support our caregivers have responded. And really, you know, our mission is we're embedded as patient first mission. And really, everything we do is centered around similar to your environment and thinking about how we can serve our patients and their families and, and our employees. And so this is one story that struck me as really representing sort of how noble um, and honorable people have been throughout this. So maybe I'll just relay a little bit of it. So the, the story that's being referenced is an ICU nurse, a 63 years old, and, and she cares for her 91-year-old mother. And when the COVID-19 patient started to first come, obviously one of the areas that we recognized was the at-risk population tends to be individuals that are of a slightly older age. And so, you know, one of our priorities is obviously our employee safety. You know, we thought about within our environments how to provide the safest environment and offered opportunities to people who are at risk. And so she thought about it and, you know, she acknowledged that the virus scared her, but she then thought about the young nurses in the units, the one that actually called her mom, and they're full of energy and compassion. And so they all wanted to stay together. And so her decision was to stay with the team. And so there's a group of these IC nurses in their 50s and older who are already sort of these local legends because in the city we have a lot of young nurses because they live in our urban environment. So even before COVID-19 struck, these nurses really were already mentoring. 
But in the days that follows, it, you know, 10 who remained after each with 30 or more years of experience collectively have continued to care for some of the sickest patients and four continue to work directly with the COVID patients and all are playing vital roles and as caregivers and supervisors and what the younger nurses call sort of their work moms. So one of our younger nurses who is 23 says, you know, she feels like there's such a symbol of hope and, you know, she acknowledges difficult going to work and not really knowing what you're going to face that day. So having them there just provides this, uh, being able to fall back on them is, is just, you know, really nice. When you talk to them, you know, they've grown up with each other through their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. So this is family, like literally family. And to see how they've responded and how they've really helped younger people. You know, in normal times, as we all sort of get older and experience, we enjoy that aspect of mentorship. But during these times, it's really been remarkable. And so the spirit overall is tremendous. You know, the teams have responded with fierce determination, courage, empathy, and really unmatched resiliency. You know, I think it's been really deeply appreciative on our leadership part and grateful. And, you know, what we continue to recognize is that this is a marathon and not a sprint. So these acts of kindness and empathy really are each day critically important. So it's really been uh, warming to be part of this. I mean, this is amazing. My deepest respect for her selfless uh, engagement. And in general, we at Siemens Helsinius, we really thank all healthcare workers very, very much for fighting in the front line. And some of us are also working at the front line, our service engineers and so on. They work together with our customers. So this is really amazing. I hope that we as human beings on this globe are learning from this pretty unique pandemic, how important mutual respect is, independent from status, jobs and race and so on. I think we all can grow from this pandemic and these are opportunities. And of course, we at Siemens uh, Helsinius, we do also support yeah, in terms of employee volunteers, donation and products where we can help our customers. It's an amazing story and shows what people can do in this severe time. One of the interesting aspects of the pandemic from a technology perspective is the way it has demonstrated the importance of operating a digital healthcare system. This also came up in our last episode during our conversation with Dr. Frederick Wentz. So clearly, what we've witnessed during this time is how essential this type of technology is, not only during times of crisis, but also as a younger and more digital-focused generation enters the workforce. What are your thoughts about a more digital healthcare system, Howard? It's a really sort of important question and one that we've both observed and are deeply appreciative of sort of directionality that we're taking. Personally, I always thought that our healthcare system would most likely be disrupted by new entrants into healthcare, you know, the new sort of technology-based companies that were beginning to get involved in healthcare. And I thought they were going to force us to think about how we were going to adjust our abilities in the digital world. And as we see younger generations and even our generation and others that are so much more comfortable with technologies that healthcare had to continue to sort of evolve. What I've really seen is that actually this virus has really turned out to be the great disruptor. You know, it really forced us to think about in one day how we are running our night lives in a relatively normal way. And within 24, 48 hours, the world had turned upside down. And we had to think about now how do we rapidly introduce technologies that we had been thinking about, but maybe not had fully formed or deployed. So we've been really intensely focused on telemedicine, our virtual monitoring and rounding, thermal screening, you know, the things that allowed us to uh, continue to care for patients, 
um, but at the same time, introduce a way to care for them that was a safe for them, safe for our employees. So in our ICUs, for example, our ability to use this sort of virtual rounding capabilities, this whiteboard technology that let us be able to see into rooms and communicate so that we could monitor patients appropriately, and but at the same time, make sure that our employees were in rooms where they needed to be, but when they otherwise did not need to be. It was a safe environment. How we could think about areas of telemedicine where we might be able to see patients on a clinic virtually. So if we think about prior to COVID, we went from doing about 10% of our clinic visits via telehealth. Most of these really, to be honestly, were using the telephone to at its peak, 65 to 70% of patients in, in within a week's time. In some areas, well over 90% uh, because you were dealing with patient populations that, as we talked about earlier, at risk. So someone that was immunocompromised, someone that was elderly, you know, at this stage, especially early on, when people were recalcitrant to leave their home, we still had to take care of them. And so we um, really started to think through how to rapidly deploy this and our innovation team and our IT team were nothing, you know, short of wondrous and spectacular. And so, you know, as we continue to go down this pathway, we're continuing to think about how do we leverage wearables and the data that come in so we can monitor deterioration of patients, for example, that are not in a hospital or monitor them for other diseases, cardiac disease, as an example. So I think what I've really noticed is something that I could have imagined might have taken us two to three years to think through and try to just get just right. We were just willing to say, you know, this is so important that we're going to accelerate it. And so I think that what this has done is forced us to run at a faster mile than we would normally have and to the great benefit of all of us. And, you know, one question that does come up is, and, and we've spoken about this obviously at other times, is, you know, where AI and machine-based learning fits in with all this. You know, at this point, we were having that as part of our conversation. But to be quite candid, as we focused on these other areas that had real direct, immediate patient care needs, you know, someone who couldn't come in, how do we address that? We've um, not given as much focus on it as we have some of the aforementioned. I mean, we think it's going to be, and know it's going to be critically important in the future and all the conversations we've had with your leadership and others as we think about, you know, disease and tracking it and using machine-based learning and AI. And I think it will have relevance actually to this novel situation we're in. But a lot of what we've really done on the technology side is thinking about how do we use technology to allow us to most safely care for our patients and at the same time, think about its importance of connectivity and keeping our caregivers safe also. I'm hearing this all over the globe from our customers. It has significantly accelerated digitalization in healthcare. And not only in healthcare, also in our company, we see clearly homework, tele-meetings and so on is deeply rising. And I think in your world, actually, it's value for the providers, but also for the patients. And it's here to stay. I, I couldn't agree more, yeah. What I have in mind is technologies we have evaluated together where we remotely control scanners, for example, right? And all of a sudden it turns out to be very advantageous in times of a pandemic because you can control even MR or CT from home and can operate these machines while you are in quarantine or while you are simply at home. You want to keep distance to the patients. So I think all these uh, technologies are very helpful. Also, our interventional robot, we bought this company, Corindus, which is a company, is a leading company in the space of vascular intervention. This robot now is also of advantage because you can keep distance to the potentially infected patients or the other way around, the patient can keep distance from the personnel. So these technologies are now adopted and I think you are right, much faster than 
we would have thought before the pandemic, no doubt about it. Testing is a crucial aspect of flattening the curve. And operating through an emergency situation means that you're learning as you go. Dr. Chrisman discusses his experience at Northwestern relating to how testing criteria decisions were made, what kinds of tests they were able to provide, and how testing has evolved since the start of the pandemic. He also tells us why he believes this pandemic will ultimately shape healthcare in a positive way. How do you apply testing? And I'm talking now about PCR testing, antibody testing. How do you apply this at Northwestern and how should it be applied to the population? Do you have some thoughts on this and some recommendations? The way we have approached this at a high level is when we first were confronted by the virus, we developed a response team. So as you referenced earlier, I am leading the reactivation team, but obviously that overlaps and simultaneously is partnered with our response team led by one of our infectious disease and chief medical officer experts, Dr. Noskin, and we work very closely together. And testing, as you're well aware, worldwide and, and certainly here in the U.S., was one of the great areas of debate and consternation and anxiety because, at least here in the U.S., we struggled to get the necessary swabs and reagents and testing kits. It was um, a challenge. I think we're in a much better situation than we were early on. I think the world is in a much better situation as industry, I think, is uh, increasingly capable of managing to large cohorts of population. But certainly early on, it was difficult. If you look at the virology side of testing, just starting at sort of our healthcare system approach, we have a number of different platforms. We have our PCR in-house platform that we use. We have a Cepheid platform. We just are introducing Hologic's Panther platform and then uh, Roche also this fall. And so what that has allowed us to do is really ramp up the numbers of tests we can do, which liberates sort of the criteria we originally had. And as you referenced earlier, we're privileged and I'm part of our Northwestern University academic research platform. So working very closely with our research colleagues on thinking through testing and the appropriate way we think about this and getting the resources Early on, we were very narrow in who we tested. You know, we were really testing those individuals who were symptomatic, so had expressed symptoms and needed to be tested. And to be honest, even in some situations, if they were symptomatic but stable, we would give them the advice of quarantining themselves so that they didn't spread it to others. Um, but if we had limited testing, we were maybe testing those that were most in need of testing for confirmation and appropriate treatment. You know, as we've gotten a better sense of our supply chain, which is much better today, we've begun to sort of increase our ability of testing. So, for example, all individuals that are coming in for certain procedures, so especially the aerosolized generating procedures or what we call AGPs, all of them are tested 72 hours before they come in. We continue to test symptomatic individuals uh, where appropriate. And then increasingly, we're working with our caregivers for their best judgment. So as you think about perhaps asymptomatic individuals who might now have exposure and we want to do appropriate contact tracing, then we want to begin to think about the timing of when the test occurs, the type of symptoms. Um, but a lot of this is really dictated by our ability to have the appropriate supply chain components to this. And again, as a state, because it's been managed so well and because we've been working well with our supply chain, we're able to liberate this a little bit. 
as we think about sort of expanding our testing, you know, into different cohorts of populations, whether it's university students, you know, I have a passion for what we call soccer or football in your world, you know, how we think about sports and professional teams beginning to return to normal activities as we think about other industries and the return of their workforce. We're working very closely to identify what's the appropriate testing. So the virology testing really in general, we still sort of want to use it thoughtfully. We don't have limitless supplies, but but we want to be able to do it in a way that we feel helps us identify people at risk, helps us do contact tracing, helps inform our caregivers. The serology part of this, of which we use the Abbott architecture, so it's in the IgG, that's currently what we're using and we're actually testing all of our healthcare workers. You know, we want to understand, at least from an exposure perspective, where we're at. So we, we have offered that testing to all of our healthcare workers. We have about, I think we're in the range of about 15,000 individuals that have been tested with about a 4% positive rate, so relatively low. But I think something that gives us actually great comfort, meaning that all the appropriate precautions we put in place for our healthcare workers, in addition to their own behaviors, is helping minimize risk of exposure. You know, we're continuing to understand what serology testing meeting means, as does the world. We're looking to both IgG and IgM capabilities, which obviously gives you a different sense of immunity. But this continues to evolve. And I think we're fortunate that at least as of today, we have an ability to really think through this thoughtfully and apply both virology and serology where appropriate. We are happy that we can contribute in terms of PCR testing, but also now qualitative antibody testing, IgM and IgG. And it's important that we continue, for example, going into semi-quantitative tests and so on. Thank you, Howard. Summarizing this a little bit, do you believe that we will have a much stronger healthcare delivery system after COVID-19? How can we strengthen the healthcare delivery system after COVID-19? I am absolutely convinced that we will have a stronger healthcare system. In fact, I'm convinced we have a stronger healthcare system today. You know, prior to the pandemic, at least in Northwestern medicine, we were fortunate to have a very integrated academic healthcare system. We had a single electronic healthcare record system, Epic, across all our 10 hospitals, has proven to be invaluable. All of our system functions like HR, IT, finance, share, common platforms. So we really were very integrated, which really allowed us, I think, to accelerate our abilities across all of our different hospitals, how we could work together, how we could move ventilators, how we could share in PPE. So as we move forward, I, I think it's undoubtable that we'll be a much stronger healthcare system. Just the degree of collaboration and the maturation of our leadership team, you know, that's another important part of this. I think faced with this crisis, we've really watched at all levels of leadership and management a real maturation of individuals whose, I think, talent we recognized previously, but has really blossomed during this time. And so I think that really serves us well. The acceleration, as we talked about earlier, of technology um, and I think the deepening of our, our patient-first culture, just the idea that we all came together and our ability to recognize the selfishness that's occurred, I believe there will be a sort of an indelible mark on all of us that will leave us stronger. When you talk about sort of the relationship with Siemens, and we might touch on this later, but I think we've also seen beyond our healthcare system, our relationship with, you know, so many others in healthcare and outside of healthcare, you know, as a community, leadership from all different industries supported the frontline workers and our healthcare individuals in a way that, you know, whether they were supplying donated food, whether they were supporting our crisis fund for individuals that needed support. There are just so many ways that the healthcare system was supported that I think will continue to both ripen, and I think at the same time, uh, solidify our role within you know, the city of Chicago, the state and, and the nation. 
I think we are much stronger, all of us, uh, as a result of this. Question is, is it going to be more decentralized in the future? Because of what you have explained in terms of teleconsultation, where patients no longer have to go all the time to the hospital, can they stay even at home midterm, let's say, yeah, because they have all the devices at home? So these are interesting questions, but I fully share your view. Yeah, at the end, it will be stronger than before the pandemic. As Chicago was hit very hard by COVID-19, we talked about it. I can imagine that you had to make some far-reaching decisions in the past weeks. Is there one episode or decision that you will remember for a long time? It's an interesting question and one that I've been asked before. And, you know, I come back that I really don't think there was one critical decision. You know, in fact, what I would argue is that the nature of what we had faced required notable decisions every day in a remarkably unique way. We think about this as a novel virus and something we've never faced before. So each day we're confronted with a new uncertainty. Decisions such as delaying critical surgeries to ensure we had enough ventilators, securing PPE for our workforce to make sure our frontline caregivers were safe and protective, you know, not allowing visitors to see their loved ones as they face death, or asking our physicians and nurses to be in the front line exposed to a virus that we had never seen before. All these were happening rapidly and every day. And all these were made by a team of colleagues who I, as I said previously, I'm just humbled and honored to, to work with. You know, when asked this question, it's really hard to think of that one decision because every day I thought, well, this is really the notable decision. We're not going to allow visitors in, which is a big deal right in the hospital. And then the next day there was an equally notable decision. So, you know, one final thought and, I, and for me personally, and I said this earlier, was really balancing my own uncertainties. And so as I made decisions on the professional side, the equal weight of making these decisions and trying to understand the personal and professional. And, you know, as we've talked about and you've dealt with, uh, perhaps your kids are a little bit younger, but it is, you talk about notable decisions. They were also occurring at home, thinking about how to make decisions that impacted work and home and your family. All those were occurring uh, every day. And so as I, as I think back about the, what I would say is notable decisions, what's been notable is that there really were many of them and not one that I could separate. No, it makes perfectly sense. I would conclude the same for me personally. Could you please mention two aspects of our exchange that are especially important from your point of view to our audience here? Yeah, well, I think the two things that I would say and like the notable experiences is probably more. One is, you know, the relationships that we've had with Siemens over the years has always been warm, trusting and partnered. I think that is very clear, not just from this conversation, but quite candidly, we've spoken previously. And you know, as you said at the start of this, this is really the world coming together. And so I think that it is the standpoint of us working together to overcome this, which we will, has been really apparent, that partnership and trust. Um, and then I would just argue, you know, or add on a personal level, our friendship and our ability to talk serves me very well as a leader. But maybe more importantly, as a, an individual, I think shared responsibilities that, that we have as a parent, as an organizational leader, and being able to have conversations such as these is very valuable. As appreciative for the opportunity, um, knowing uh, we're all busy, that you spent the time with me too. So thank you for, for everything Siemens is doing for us as an organization and as a personal friend. We'll wrap up today by again reiterating the importance of the human element when navigating through moments like these. Working together and sharing information have shown us that it can't be left to technology alone. 
If you have the right people in place and communication is flowing, strategic technology and innovation partnerships together hold the key to successful emergency response. Makes me very humble. Thank you so much. And as you know us and you know me, we are fully committed to help you wherever we can and to help our customers in North America, but also rest of the world. Howard, super impressive that we have spoken here. Thank you for taking the time. We talked about all your roles. So again, I feel very much honored that you spent the time with me here and that you have shared your experience very openly. I took from this conversation maybe even three points. Human beings matter most. I mean, again, what you have explained with the nurses and the healthcare workers in general in the front line is simply amazing. And we should never take it for granted. And we should really respect them for what they are doing. And we should respect them also beyond the crisis. Collaboration matters. I'm hearing this more and more, how important collaboration is. So we are getting a little bit out of this competitive environment into, hey, we need to work together. We need to prepare maybe even uh, the next uh, pandemic. So uh, you explained this also very nicely. And last but not least, hey, as innovation uh, leader, of course, I took also from this discussion how technology will adopt based on the pandemic and how we can use this technology meaningfully in the healthcare systems, in particular the digitalization. Yeah, it's here to stay. It's not about to go away again and we go back to the old normal. We will establish our new normal, as you said, and digitalization will be in the center. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the next 23 years uh, of partnership with you. Yeah, sure, I will not experience all of these years, but so far, a great partnership and friendship. Howard, I again want to thank you very much uh, for your time. Yeah, talk to you very soon again and please stay healthy. Thank you. Thank you very much. Same to you. And this concludes our conversation with Dr. Howard B. Chrisman and Dr. Christoph Sindel. A big thank you to them both for sharing their thoughts with us and a big thank you to you, our listeners. This has been another episode of Shaping the Future of Healthcare from Siemens Healthineers. Subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts, rate us, and review us on Apple Podcasts. We'll see you next time. <laughs>